Well, tonight we're in Romans chapter 7. We're going in-depth on our weekend study. We're going to be looking at the life of the Spirit, the newness of the life of the Spirit this evening. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together, and then we'll pray. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, Though she has married another, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this newness of life in the spirit under grace. So many times it eludes us. So many times we don't understand it. And in this chapter where we see the conflict of our flesh, we we desperately need the Spirit of God. So God, would you come? Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. I think a difficult concept for us to grasp, I know a difficult concept for me to understand, is that we're under grace. We know that up here in our minds, but what does that really mean in our hearts and our lives that we are under the grace of God? we'll tend to always go back to a rules-based relationship with the Lord, thinking that God's love for us, his favor, his blessing in our lives comes through our works. What Paul tells us at the end of chapter 6, 615, is that we're under grace. The word under means covering or an umbrella. As the summer gets hot, you probably want to be under an umbrella under a covering. The children of Israel as they're traveling through the wilderness were under the cloud, the shade that God provided. That was God's direction in their life was, where's the provision? Where's the shade? We're under God's grace, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. In this life of grace, we've been given the Spirit of God, the newness of the Spirit. We're going to focus tonight on the reality of serving God, not out of the oldness of the letter, not out of the old covenant, but the newness of the Spirit, God's Spirit living inside of us. A lot of questions about the Holy Spirit and the life of the Holy Spirit. So let's clarify a few of those as we begin. The first is, the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God lived inside of you. You became the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's part of this gift of grace, of of salvation. So if you know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty awesome to think of that reality and that truth that my heart, my life is the housing. It's, It's the temple of the Spirit of God. Also, we see in the life of the disciples that the Holy Spirit was with them And then the Holy Spirit was in them, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them in the book of Acts. Some refer this to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where the confusion comes in. Well, if the Spirit is in us, then why do I need to be baptized with the Spirit? 
To be baptized in the Spirit is surrendering ourselves to the work of the Spirit, that we can be empowered by the Spirit to live a life that's a witness unto Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 says, And you shall be baptized, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, so that you shall be my witness. So that people can look at your life and see Jesus Christ. Not necessarily that you'll go witnessing, which is great. I think we need to do that more. But that my life is a witness of of Jesus Christ. This comes through the Holy Spirit coming upon you, coming upon me. What's so exciting about the book of Acts, we're going to end our study looking at the book of Acts, especially in the life of Peter, is it was a life that was lived in the newness of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit had come upon them, had empowered them. They're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek there, that word filled, it means to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we tend to be leaky vessels, don't we? We need to continually to rely upon the Holy Spirit. The timing of this in Romans chapter 7 is really important. If you remember from Sunday's study, the conflict of sanctification. Where Paul's transparent with us and he says, Man, the things that I want to do, I just don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, the things I hate, I end up doing. He's frustrated. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The difference between how and who. We need Christ. Read ahead to chapter 8. It's filled with the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit of God. This newness of the Spirit, surrendering to the work of the Spirit, is really the key to being able to overcome sin. We don't have the power in and of ourselves. So let's pick up as we go through this in verse 4. Paul gave us this illustration of a woman who is married. She's bound to her husband. We're the ones who die. The law's not going to die. We're the ones who die. As we trust Christ for salvation, we identify with, with his death. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. This life of the Spirit, if you're taking notes tonight first, is inspired by love. It's inspired by love. We're dead to the law so that we can be married to another. We could be married to Christ. And Paul gives us this illustration of marriage here to show us the way that God wants us to relate under the grace of God. That our hearts would be touched and moved by love. I don't think there's any greater motivator than love. We're told that we love God because he first loved us. He first loved us. He initiated his love towards us. It's not this amazing thing that we would love God. He's altogether lovely. But he first loved us. And we're responding to this love that God has given to us. So we're married to another. We're the bride of Christ. We'd entered into this loving relationship with the Lord. And this is contrasted with the relationship with the law. Mr. Perfect. Sounds great at the beginning to have a perfect spouse. But then you come to understand how annoying it is. And the law, man, it's good. It's right. It's perfect. But it reveals our sin and our our shortcoming. And we don't want just a rules-based relationship with God. I hope that you're not 
simply obeying God out of this obligation of rules. That's, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that that's there in your life. But hopefully it goes a lot deeper in your life and in my life that Christ has won our love, that he's won our affection, and we're choosing to love the Lord. I think that this is what I missed growing up in the church, in a Christian family, in Christian school. I understood the rules. I understood the requirements, but I didn't understand the love. I really didn't understand that God loved me unconditionally, that he pursued me when I didn't want anything to do with him. When my heart was hard towards him, Christ died for me. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we see the word mercy in New King James and ESV translation of the Bible. It's unending love. Mercy means unending love. God's unending love for us. We're not going to get very far in this life in the spirit, this newness of life, if we don't understand the love of God. Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus that was doing well, that they would know the height, the depth, the width of God's love. That they would know God's love that passes knowledge, that Christ would be at home in their hearts. That's my prayer for you tonight. It's my prayer for myself tonight, for my family. That we would know the love of God because this relationship with God is based on love. It's inspired by love. We're dead to the law to now be married to another. To where it's not just, okay, this is the requirement. I've got to read God's word. This is what Christians do. It's really important to read God's word. But I want to get to know God's love. This unending love, this undescribable love. I want to spend time in his love letter. You have to sing. You were created to sing. Make a joyful noise. It's a command of God. That's only going to go so far. But when you're touched with the love of God and you realize that his grace in your life, grace is the best teacher, you can't help but sing of the greatness of God and how much that we need the Lord. Titus 2 describes the grace of God teaching us for a life of godliness. If we really study God's grace through the cross of Jesus Christ, it's going to teach us. It's going to inspire love in us. Are there times that our love drifts, our love wanes, it feels cold even to the Lord? Unfortunately, yes. What do we do if we're in one of those seasons where, man, my, my love is, is cold toward, towards the Lord? Is I'd encourage you to spend time reflecting on the cross. Spend time at communion, remembering his broken body, his shed blood, what Jesus did for us to take us from Mount Sinai to have a rules-based relationship with God, where blessings come into our lives through our works, our obedience, to bring us to Mount Calvary, where now we can live under the grace of God. As believers, the gospel applies to us today, tonight. I need the gospel, God's grace, and, and his, his forgiveness. So, Focus on the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ and allow that to stir in us a love for Christ. We're we're married to another. This is a a love relationship with with the Lord. The end of verse 4 says, To him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. This life in the spirit, this newness of life is to be fruitful. It is to be fruitful. Don't misunderstand. God is not 
compromising a call to holiness. Some think that, well, because we're not under the law, we're not under these rules and regulations, then I get to kind of just do whatever I want. And the Lord doesn't really care how I live my life. We have this loving, gracious, kind, good Father that wants the best for us, that wants us to walk in His ways, and He desires that our life would bear fruit. One of the purposes of Him giving us the Holy Spirit is that there's a fruit that could come that's not of ourselves. Galatians 5 talks about it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, singular, but goes on to describe love, other attributes of love, gentleness and patience, self-control. That's what happens as we walk with Christ. That's what happens when we're married to another is there's fruit that begins to take place in our lives. When we're observing trees producing fruit, it does, they don't seem to be striving. You don't look at an apple tree and it's like, oh, I need apples. I got to produce apples. I'm an apple tree. Come on, apples. Anybody like pears? Pears are good, yeah. In, in the Rogue Valley where I grew up, there's pear trees. My Aunt Bertha, she had a, a pear tree, and we would pick her pears and go home with lots of pears. It's just good, you know. God did a good thing when he, he made a pear, but that pear tree was never like, I got to produce some, some pears, right? And as Christians, a lot of times it's like, I got to produce some fruit. I got to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Come on. Well, what happens? Well, that tree produces fruit naturally. And as we abide in the vine, as we connect to Christ through faith, as we connect through Christ through worship, through fellowship, through service, as we put Christ as, as the focus of our lives, through his grace and his goodness, the fruit's going to come. But God desires for there to be fruit in our lives. I believe that the Spirit of God can do more in a moment than we can accomplish in a lifetime. There's just those moments where God's Spirit is moving in our lives. We're listening to the voice of the Spirit, and He convicts. And when the Holy Spirit convicts, that goes a great way in our lives. When the Holy Spirit encourages, when the Holy Spirit leads and guides and, and directs. In Zechariah 4, 6, it says, It's not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. When we look at the early church in the book of Acts, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have social media to get the message out. They didn't have finances. They didn't have money, right? They didn't have committees. They didn't have strategies. What did they have? They didn't have buildings. They had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in them. The Holy Spirit was empowering them. It wasn't by power. It wasn't by might. But it was by the, the Holy Spirit. I long for a work of the Spirit in my life that I can't produce, a work of the Spirit in our lives as a church, in the church here in Colorado Springs, where it be a supernatural move of God, where we're bearing fruit. There's love in our lives that's evidence of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So we may be asking this question of, well then, how do I walk in the Spirit? How am I empowered with the Spirit? There's a really interesting 
statement of Christ. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. Isn't it fun to give your kids gifts? It's way more fun to give your kids gifts than to to receive gifts. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more does your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Strange. Why? Because we know that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's living inside of us. But yet, God wants us to be asking for this power of the Spirit, this dependent upon the Spirit. We have this loving, good, benevolent Father that's like, oh, I'm waiting to give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can bear fruit in our lives. And it's a supernatural work of the Lord that that He does as we cry out to the Lord and ask Him for His power. I think where this translates, where this works out practically is prayer. When I'm praying, I'm humbling myself before the Lord. Prayer is that expression of not relying upon our own strength. When I go through a day and I don't pray, in essence, I'm saying to the Lord, I got this. And that's a scary place to be. But when I'm in a place of saying, Lord, would you help me? Would you empower me with your spirit? I don't want to try to do this on my own, in my own resources. So this life of the spirit is fruitful. It bears fruit. In verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So there's the contrast between this newness of the Spirit and what the Spirit of God does in, in our lives with the law. And the law actually aroused our sinful passions. And this is still true today. When you get a list of rules, what do you want to do? You want to break them. I didn't even think about doing that. But now that there's a law, I'm going to break it. I mean, who really goes the speed limit? (laughs) Most of the time, if there's a speed limit, if you're like me, it's like, well, let's just go five over, right? That's kind of the safe zone. I've rarely met somebody that's like, I just go five under to make sure that I honor the speed limit. (laughs) I think Colorado drivers are like the worst. Have you noticed that? Like we drive so fast here and I'm guilty of it as well. And you go to another state and you're like, wow, these guys are slow pokes, right? But there's the speed limit that's given and you're like, okay, that means I can go five over. You've heard me talk about this before, but if there's a sign that says don't walk on the grass, what do you want to do? You want to walk on the grass. You never would have thought about it prior to that. It's like, if there's a bedtime, what do you want to do? Stay up a little bit later than bedtime, because bedtime's 8.30, so I want to go to bed at 9. But maybe if there is no bedtime, you're like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I think I want to go to bed, you know? So our sinful flesh is actually aroused by the law. The law actually bore the fruit of death. The spirit bears the fruit of life, but the law bore the fruit of death. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to seek the Lord. God's giving him the law. The children of Israel get uneasy that Moses is gone. They go get Aaron, Moses' brother, and say, will you make us a golden calf? Take the gold that they had received from the Egyptians, the jewelry, melt it down, and actually make a golden calf and start worshiping this golden calf. As you read it in the Old Testament, 
they give credit to the golden calf for their delivery out of Egypt. Idolatry. Gross, gross idolatry. While the law is being given, the nation of Israel is breaking the law. Engage in all kinds of sexual sin, sexual immorality. Moses comes down and sees this taking place, and he's so frustrated, he throws these tablets down that God had handwritten the Ten Commandments, and the law is broken even before it's given, and 3,000 people die that day. It resulted in death. As you follow the trajectory of the children of Israel under the law, it didn't change hearts. It didn't bring this heart to a place of genuinely loving the Lord. Israel always struggled with idolatry. Through the time of the judges, they would get into idolatry with the pagan nations around them. God and his love would discipline and send oppressors. They'd get to a place where they're tired of it, call out to deliverance. God and his grace would deliver them by the hand of a judge. That judge would die. Inevitably, they would go back to idolatry. God would raise up oppressors. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a deliverer. And this cycle continues, but they'd always come back to idolatry. Get to a place of saying, well, we want a king. God says this isn't a good idea, but if you want a king, you want man to rule you instead of God to rule you, I'll give you a king. And as you read the Kings and Chronicles, the majority of the kings walked in idolatry. Some didn't, but most of them did. To the point where, hey, that's a cool balloon right there. That's pretty, pretty fun. I don't think you're going to get that one back, buddy. <laughs> that was like, I'm teaching squirrel. <laughs> there it goes. Anybody have a BB gun? The king's walking in idolatry as well, to the point where then God leads them into captivity. The law brought death. It didn't win the hearts, didn't change the heart. So we get into verse 6. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. With being dead to the law and married to Christ, there's a change that happens. We should serve or walk in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. This life of the Spirit, it's new. It's new. Write that down. It's new. It's new from several perspectives. And the first is, well, what's the old? The old is the old covenant through the letter of the law, where God writes the commandment upon tablets of stone. But in the new, he writes upon our hearts. He melts and softens our hearts, and he writes his will upon our hearts. I want to look at a couple places in the Old Testament that talk of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah 31, and also put a finger in Ezekiel 36. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. This was always God's plan. For us to not be under the law, but be under the new covenant of God's grace. The law was to show us our need for the Spirit. To show us our need for the grace of God in the blood of Jesus Christ. So this is Jeremiah 31. 
Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Covenant is God's contract with us, his commitment to us, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So this is different than the covenant that he gave on Mount Sinai, the law. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, notice, I will put my law in their minds, I will write it in their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Now turn over to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments to do them. So God is very clearly saying there's something new coming and it's the new covenant that Jesus provided in his blood. Both in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, we see that it's inward versus outward. The law is outward. It's written on tablets of stone. It's written, thus says the Lord, this is what you need to do in order to be blessed by God. Again, nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with me. But the new covenant of God's grace, now God writes upon our hearts. Salvation, when we trust Christ as our Savior, God changes our hearts. He takes our heart of stone and he makes it soft. So Amber, my wife, uh, her mom, Kathy, her parents weren't believers. And her dad, my wife's grandfather, was just a really angry, harsh man. And he was, at times, very difficult to his children, his, his six children. And in his older years, he got saved. He came to know Christ as his Savior. And my wife got to watch that happen and that transformation as she was in late elementary, junior high school. And she would share with you how different her grandpa became because of this new covenant that we're talking about. God took his angry, hard-hearted, heart of stone, this harsh, vengeful man, and caused him to melt in a way that only the Holy Spirit could do. And he spent the last portion of his life oftentimes crying, asking those that he loved to forgive him because of the way that he treated him. Only God. Only God can do that. Maybe you remember when you trusted Christ as, as your Savior, how God softened your heart. The law couldn't do that, but the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and you're going, wow, something changed inside of me. Prior to God getting hold of my life, my heart was really hard towards God. It was a heart of stone. 
when the Holy Spirit came in there, man, my heart was soft. Not perfect, but soft. And I started to desire the things of God. That was a work of the Spirit. That was God writing internally upon me. That's, that's the newness of life. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to be at church. I wanted to serve. That was nothing that I desired prior to my life. There's been several times here at RMC where someone will come up and trust Christ as their Savior. We'll have the privilege of praying with them. And they'll say, you know what? I was planning to go out and party with my friends tonight, but I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't think I'm going to do that. I didn't say that. They didn't get a chance to get in their Bible and read about not being drunk, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what happened? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. Had the opportunity to pray with people to receive Christ their Savior. And when they're done praying, they go, man, I need to go share with this person and this person and that person. It's like, where did that come from? They haven't taken a new believers class, right? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God then writing inside of them. It's internal instead of external. But notice also too here in Ezekiel, it says, I will put my spirit within you. We're empowered by the spirit of God. And this is where the fruit comes from, is, is God is writing his will in our hearts and our lives, but he's also empowering us. He gives us the power to be able to do it. And notice what we've read in Romans is that we're supposed to serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. We're supposed to walk in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. To each of the seven churches, Jesus spoke and says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So the Spirit is speaking to the church. Is the church listening? So for us to walk in this newness of life, this newness of of the Spirit, we want to be listening to the voice of the Spirit riding upon our hearts. Well, how do you do that? Eric, that seems so mystical. Let's simplify it. We get in the Word of God. We, work, we read it with these listening ears, with a soft heart towards the Lord, saying, God, I'm opening up the Word this morning because I want you to speak to me, because I want you to direct me. I want you to guide me in this newness of life. God's going to speak to us through, through His Word. I bet that each of us have some things that God is impressing upon our hearts tonight in this newness of life if we're willing to listen. It may be he wants you to reach out to somebody. It may be that he wants you to give in a certain way of your time or your talents or some of your treasure. It's been eating at you a while. God's put someone on your heart that you're to, you're to give to, to, to invest in. Maybe God's been writing on your heart, it's time to stop complaining and to be thankful. But he's, he's writing on our hearts if we're paying attention. And where the joy comes from is saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in this newness of life. I'm going to reach out because God's putting this on, on my heart. I'm going to pray for this person because God is, is leading me in this way. I want to take a few more minutes here and just highlight this in the, the life of Peter. In the book of Acts, because I think Peter's life really is an example of this newness of spirit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and we're just going to look at a handful 
of sections here in the book of Acts. And this is where you're like, oh no, we're in for it. Eric might actually preach till 9.30. I thought, I thought we were done, and now he's like, the book of Acts. Like, let's just take on the book of Acts. But Peter was an absolute mess before he encountered the new covenant and the life of the Spirit. He had dedication, he had willingness, he wanted to follow the Lord, but he kept messing up. He had this struggle that, that we all do. And he would mess up with his words, arguing over who could be the greatest. Mount of Transfiguration happens, Jesus' glory is revealed, Moses and Elijah show up, Peter doesn't know what to say, good time to be quiet, but instead he says, hey, let's build tabernacles or tents for all three of you, putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, and he gets spanked from the Father from heaven. The father speaks audibly from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Pay attention to my son, right? He gets rebuked by Christ. He gets called by Jesus saying, Satan, get behind me. That's a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan, right? <laughs> Comes to the end of all of this and he's saying, even if these other guys deny you, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus is like, well, I hate to break you to you before sunrise, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Peter was up and down. Then we find Jesus dying for his sins, rising again, restoring him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter will continue to struggle. We know that from the New Testament. He doesn't become this person who has sinless perfection. No one does. But he is changed. You can't help but read the book of Acts and see a changed person in this newness of spirit. So this is Acts 2, verse 14. The Holy Spirit has just come upon the church, the believers as they're praying in the upper room. They're speaking in tongues. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Sound like the same Peter who's denying the Lord by the fire? A servant girl comes to Peter and says, Hey, aren't you with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee? He's like, No, not me. He curses that he never knew Christ. This is the same group that crucified Jesus, and he gets up in this multitude, and he speaks with authority because the Holy Spirit has come upon him. He's living in this newness of the Spirit. Jump to verse 36 of chapter 2. Therefore, all the house of Israel knew assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Woo, it just got very real. Peter's like, you guys crucified him, putting his, his life upon the line. But notice what happened. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> God convicts them. They're like, what do we do? And Peter responds and said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the newness of the Spirit, a changed man where he has the boldness of God. Turn over one page to chapter 3. Chapter 3, these are examples of the newness of the Spirit. Now Peter and John 
went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, their, their customary time for prayer, three in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. He's always there. Peter's walked by him probably many times before, but something's different. This is the newness of the Spirit, God's leading, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. The Holy Spirit did something. Today's different. And God got the attention of Peter to focus on this lame man. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. If we're willing to walk in the Spirit, we'll be going through our day, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will go, wake up, dummy. This is it. This is the time to pay attention. I got something here that I want to do in this person's life. And Peter goes with it. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to receive some money. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he's leaping up, stood and walked, and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Work of the Spirit, newness of the Spirit. Couple more. Let's go to chapter five. This one's, if you're thinking this is far out, it gets, gets even a little crazier. If, if we had a church service like Acts chapter five, it would be memorable. Uh, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Nothing wrong with him selling his property, keeping some money for himself, and giving part of it to the church. The problem was, is he gave the appearance that he was giving all of the proceeds to the church. He wanted to appear more spiritual than he really was. Ever been there? Yeah, I have, right? Well, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? How in the world did Peter know this? You lying bag of bones. How did Satan fill your heart that you would, you would lie about this? Only one way, the newness of the Spirit. Peter's walking in the Spirit. And this, this is where we need a lot of discernment because this can't be Peter's flesh in this. P Peter can't be wrong in this. He's got to make sure that he knows that he's hearing from the Lord in this. Verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. It was a tough day to be an usher at that church service, right? Yeah. 
People talk about being slain in the spirit. I'm like, I don't know if you want that. You know what I'm saying? I won't go into all of that, but. All right, one more, Acts chapter 10. So far in the book of Acts, we don't see the gospel going to the Gentiles. It's staying in Jerusalem amongst the Jews. And God had made it clear that he wanted the gospel to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And God gives a message to Peter here in Acts 10 verse 9. Cornelius, who is a Gentile centurion, a Roman soldier, had been praying. And God's going to speak to Peter for Peter to go to a Gentile's house. Verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. I love that. The apostle Peter was hungry. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. God gives him a vision and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Unclean animals that God said the Jewish people weren't to eat. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Uh, Mondays and Fridays are my days off, and we went and did some fishing on Monday and caught some trout. And I had to come home and clean them. And this verse was inspiring me to get over the grossness. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So I had to clean these trout to barbecue them. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. He'd, he'd never had a bacon cheeseburger. Never had sausage. It's like, I'm not going to do that now. Lord, I, I've been set apart from you. And he, the message is not about food. It's about the Gentiles. And a voice spoke to him again. The second time saying, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken into heaven. Verse 17, now while Peter was wondering with himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. What Peter considered to be unclean showed up at his doorstep. And God's saying, look, I got a heart for the Gentiles. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius and his household get saved. That's newness of the Spirit. Amen. That's serving in the newness of the Spirit. Does your Christian life tonight just, just feel dry, feel boring, feel, feel disengaging? Well, first, let's look afresh at the cross. Let's remember the life in the Spirit is inspired by love. He first loved us. God desires us to bear fruit. And may we cry out to the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He being evil knows how to give good gifts to, to his kids. How much more so will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, so let's ask. If there are ever a time where the world needed a move of the Holy Spirit, it's now. There's craziness in our world. 
People need that touch of the love of God. And for us to begin to look at God, look at his promises and go, Lord, I don't, I don't want to serve you in the oldness of the letter. I don't want to just check off boxes, rules and regulations. I'm a good box checker. I want to serve in the newness of the spirit. I want you to have my heart. I want you to have my attention. God, I'm giving that to you. And I'm surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Man, newness, newness of life, it's so, so good. It's so beautiful. When each of our four children were born, such a special moment and special time. Our oldest, Hannah, is graduating high school this month. And I've been thinking a lot about when she was little and a newborn. And man, just that, that newness of life. Even the fresh grass that is coming up, it's beautiful. And there's this newness of the spirit where God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. I want to leave you with this. There was a man in our fellowship by the name of Clancy, and he was passing the way of cancer. And he knew he was passing away, and he was going through his treatments, and his treatments were not going to be curative. They were just going to prolong his life. And the treatments were brutal. They were beating up his body, and he endured a lot of pain just to have some extra time with his family members and friends. And he invited me to just come and sit with him during some of his cancer treatments on Union and Fillmore. And on a couple occasions, I had the privilege of being able to to sit with Clancy. And he was sharing with me just how difficult this road was with cancer and suffering and going through these treatments and what was going on in his body. And he said, you know what, Eric, where I've landed is the Holy Spirit knows me better than I know myself. And I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own strength. So I've been praying every day and several times throughout the day, Holy Spirit, you know me. And would you help me? And would you show me what I need to know to be able to get through this? And he says, Eric, the Holy Spirit's been faithful to answer that prayer. Jesus said something to us that's pretty intense. He said to the disciples, it was good that he would go away. Imagine hearing that from the disciples. Jesus, it's good for you to leave. It's, It's good for you not to be right here with us in the physical form. And this is why. Jesus said, because I'm going to send another to you, the Holy Spirit. That's how good the life of the Spirit is. And Jesus went on to describe the Spirit as our helper and our teacher. I don't think we talk about it enough. I know I don't understand it enough and yield myself to the Holy Spirit enough. But the secret to the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's this newness of the Spirit where we surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, as we study these things in your word, we also want to experience them. We're so thankful for the new covenant, the new covenant of your grace to not be under the law, to be married to you, Jesus, to be inspired by your love. May your love be afresh in our lives. May we know the height and the depth and the width of your love. And would you teach us and show us how to walk and serve in this newness of the spirit, what we see in Peter's life. Jesus, you told us to ask for the spirit. We know the spirit lives inside of us, but we're humbling ourselves right now. I encourage you to just ask in faith. 
Father, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.